Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about the subject hope. Everybody say hope. Hope. Good. Okay. Um, in the world we live today, in the world in general, not just only in Nigeria, um, in the church, sometimes, especially outside the church, there's a lot of hopelessness. Everywhere you turn, the news is hopeless, filled with hopelessness. You know, media filled with hopelessness. Um, in, even in church, sometimes, I mean, when, I'm, when we say church, we mean quote and unquote, you know what, what we mean, some churches. There's despair. People are discouraged. People are downtrodden in their lowest states. And it makes you, you know, wonder. You know, that prayer we pray, come, oh Lord, come. Why don't you just come, Lord, and just end this misery? I mean, that's my own personal prayer at times. And I, I used to say things to my, my wife, like, you know, maybe we should just die and go. And she used to warn me about it. So I've repented. I don't say it anymore. But sometimes you wonder if the streets of heaven are filled with gold, there are mansions there. I should remain here on earth and just consistently um, suffer, so to speak. You turn, you see hardship. Sometimes you go into some areas, you see a very big house. So let's say you're wealthy because you're, you're, you're benefited from the sounds of freedom and all that, you know, beauty that God has given to us. But you look around you and you see decadence everywhere. You know, we buy, like in our nation, Nigeria, we buy big cars and we drive them in slums. Our roads are slums, you know. So it, it makes you, you know, wonder what's going on. And really, hopelessness that's prolonged, you know, becomes like a darkness that's that you cannot get out of, even though God says that we are light unto the world. So the effect of darkness in our lives really can be very, very profound, very profound. And when I think about um, prolonged darkness, I remember the illustration that's been used on this altar over and over again about the monkey with a, a glass ceiling. So each time the monkey tries to jump, it hits the, the glass ceiling. So invariably, over time, the monkey's destiny has become truncated by the glass ceiling. So much so that even when the glass ceiling is taken away, the monkey doesn't still know that he cannot jump beyond a certain limit unless by some revelation, the monkey knows that he has been set free um, from that bondage. It will still rise up only to the heights where the glass ceiling has been placed over it. So we live in a society where, you know, even corruption and decadence is sort of like the norm. Where when you even want to do something that is morally correct, you seem like the immoral one. Even the way we drive at times, you wonder, am I the only sane driver? So after a while, you, be, you begin to act like the many insane drivers so that you can actually fit in. Praise God. Okay, so let, let's, let's, let's bring it home a bit. Now that we've heard the sound of freedom, the question is what next? What next? So I think this is where we, be, we begin our interaction. The open question there, now that you have heard the sound of freedom in a dark world, the sound of freedom around hopelessness, the sound of freedom from the bondage where you used to be, right? What next? Who wants to go? For you. What next for you? What's next for you? Now I've received the sound of freedom. I believe the chains have been broken. You know, we use the Acts 16 scripture and even First Samuel 7 scripture. So what next? Can we pass the mic? Who wants to volunteer? Maybe you have a plan going forward now that I've received the sound of freedom. If you don't volunteer, we'll volunteer you. Be vulnerable by yourself so we don't make you vulnerable. It's not a trick question. Now I've received the sound of freedom. What next? What next step for me? Who wants to go quiet? It's usually very reliable. Come on. Okay. I think Pastor Moralake wants to help us. 
Pastor Murlaki wants to help us, please. What next for you? What is your next or are your next action steps? Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, now that I've heard the sound of freedom, um, my very next step is to attend the WOW Career Vision Board meeting. It's happening on the 9th of December. Amen. And I want to encourage every woman to come. Even if you don't have vision, come. We have vision. There are many people. We are better together. We have many fired up brains that are waiting to just explode. And truly, God will come with tongues of cloven fire upon all of us. Hallelujah. And we will receive that vision that we will run with. Because it will be made so plain. And by the grace of God and the strength of God, we will fly with it into 2018. Amen. 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 Let's clap. That's, that's, that's sound, and that, that is fiery. So now that they've received, because that's for many people, they are ready to even plot their vision. Who else wants to go? Maybe yours is not the wow vision board. Who else wants to go? Maybe a man this time. Now that we have... Okay. Any man? Okay, I volunteer one man. Ushers, Pastor Joseph... Is there somebody there? Do I see a hand? Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. What? Praise God. Hallelujah. I think now that I had the uh, sound of freedom, I, I still have to continue calling. I shouldn't stop calling. Amen. Amen. Don't stop calling. Thank you. Let's clap. Let's clap. Even though I have heard the sound of freedom and I know I am free, I will not stop calling until I receive all that I need or all, I, all that I desire. Okay, so that takes us to the next question. What is hope for you? What is hope for you? What is hope for you? When you hear the word hope, what comes to mind? Any hands? Should we go on volunteering? Okay. Tutu. Any other hands? We'll do this real quickly. Move past this segment. Praise the God. Good evening, Tutu. Good evening, sir. Hope for me is holding on to the words of Christ in this crazy world. Because everywhere you go to, everything is just a distraction and bad news and everything. But I just refuse to listen. I don't even listen to the news. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. Because every time I turn on the news, it's something bad happening. You know, so my hope is in Christ. I just mm. hold on to what my Bible tells me. And yeah. that's my own reality. I refuse to agree that the craziness in the world is what I'm living in. I'm a spiritual being in the world. So mm. I just hold on to Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Okay, Pastor Joseph. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I think hope for me is believing everything that God has said and waiting. Um, a scripture comes to mind that says the eyes of the Lord goes to and fro, seeking to make strong on behalf those whose hearts are perfect before him. So as I wait in hope, I believe that in due time, God is going to perfect all that concerns me. And you will in Jesus' name. Say amen. Thank you so much, sir. Okay. So, in, in our circumstances, um, sound of freedom, how, how, how best can we describe this hope? And that's basically what we'll be talking about um, tonight. So, we have faith. We've been told that the Lord has been decorating us with medals. You know? He brought his revelation. So, we hope that everyone here is aligned to receive their own medals. Because as we heard on Sunday, even though God has been decorating us with medals, it looks as if some people refuse to collect their own. And they are waiting to take the medals back home. But someone stood in the gap and said, no, all these medals must be disbursed to the people. So the prayer is we hope. Again, there comes hope. 
that everybody would align themselves and put themselves in the position to be decorated and socially be in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that we need hope actually to feel faith because you see, we all have faith to receive those medals. Say amen. I have faith to receive my own medals as well. So hope in itself is not a negative word, but hope can break your heart. Why do I say that? Why do we say that? Proverbs 13 verse 12 in the Living Bible. I'm going to be giving you a lot of scriptures because, again, it's a Bible study. Some will read, some won't read, but we're expected to always go back and do collaborative Bible studies. Why do we say hope we break your heart? Because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, at last, there is life and joy. The NLT says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but the dream fulfilled is a tree of life. So it's seeming hopeless situation I can think of off the top of my head is Lazarus. Lazarus was a hopeless situation. And if we look at the scriptures in John 11, John 11, read 14, um, 17 and 37. It says, so when Jesus said, then Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Hope we know that there's there's no dead after dead. Dead is dead. That's the end. Lazarus is dead. Then he goes forward in 17. says, Jesus arrived in Bethany and found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. So not only was Lazarus, that situation, dead, Lazarus was buried four days ago. So dead and buried. That is hope, hope, hopelessness, hopelessness. If you go to 37, it says, but some of them said, Jesus healed the eyes of the blind man. Why didn't he help Lazarus and stop him from dying? So not only was Lazarus dead and there was no hope for the, for the dead dead, the people said there was no hope for the dead. So dead men buried the dead and then put a, a stone over it. That's as hopeless as it gets. But we all know that um, scripture, how the story ends. Jesus said that death will not, that dead will not end in death. Even though it passes through death. And in the end, what happened? Lazarus came forth. Hallelujah. Amen. So, depending on the version you use in the scriptures, hope is used 142 to 182 times in the Bible. If you use the NIV or the um, NKGV, any of the literal translations. And I'd like us to put up a slide. We did a research to see which um, books in the Bible had the word hope used. And, and it was interesting to also find out that the first time hope was mentioned in the Bible was in the, in the book of Ruth. It doesn't mean that before that time there was no hope in the scriptures, but that's the first time the word characteristically was mentioned in the Bible. And I'm what, when I what, saw this, I was wondering about Job and Psalm. You know, Job's story, Job went through a whole lot of issues. He, he lost everything. So if it, if it was used 14.9% of the time, it means that Job talked a lot about hope. He, he did a lot of hoping, so to speak. And of course, we know David. David was a fantastic character. David was Mr. Hope. And there's, there's a part of the scripture that really, if you, let's look at the New Testament as well. The New Testament, the book of Romans comes first with 17.11% and Hebrews going, coming second at 8.5. And Romans, for me, is one of my most fantastic books in the New Testament because Romans brings the truth about our hope as Gentiles engrafted into the kingdom of God. So going back to David, in, in 2 Samuel 16, verse 10, the Bible says that, but the king answered, this was when guy called Shimei was abusing David, was cursing David, throwing all kinds of tantrums after Absalom had tried to kill his father and David was fleeing from his son to add insult upon injury. There comes a man called this Shimei guy abusing David. Now David says, was saying to the people around him because one of his bodyguards wanted to react. He said, no, this does not concern you, sons of Zeriah. 
if he's cursing me because the Lord told him to, who can question him? David also said to Abishai and all his officers, my own son is trying to kill me. This man is a Benjaminite and has more right to kill me. Leave him alone and let him curse me because the Lord has told him to. And this is the part I love the most. He says, maybe the Lord will see my misery and repay me with something good for Shimei's cursing uh, curses today. So, even though the, the, the word hope wasn't mentioned, what David was saying is, I have hope. Just allow him, allow the situation ruffle me a bit. But somehow, maybe, that word may be there. Or the, the sentence itself connotes that maybe uh, David had hope that someday I will come back through this path. So who am I? Let him, let him cost me for now. I don't care. I'm hoping on something. Praise the Lord. Okay, so to open our study and our discussions, we're going to look at some facts to consider about this word, hope. Number one, hope must be backed by belief. It must be backed by belief. Romans 4, 16, I read from verse 16, says, so people get what God promised by having faith. This happens so that the promise can be a free gift. And if the promise is a free gift, then all of Abraham's people will get that promise. The promise is not just for those who live under the law of Moses, that is the Jews. It is for all who live with faith as Abraham did. That includes you and I. He's the father of us all. As the scriptures say, I have made you a father of many nations. This is true before God. The one Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and speaks of things that don't yet exist as if they are real. There was no hope that Abraham could have children. But Abraham believed and continued to what? Hope. And that is why he became the father of many nations as God told him, you will have many descendants. Abraham was almost a hundred years old, so he was past the age of having children. Also, Sarah could not have children. Abraham was well aware of his situation. that was past the age-bearing threshold, but his faith in God never became weak. So like Abraham, we see that your hope, my hope, must be back with belief. Abraham had a strong belief. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted unto him as righteousness. We know that's part of the scripture. So hope must be back by belief. Going on, number two. We're feeling now. We're feeling now, sorry. Number two. Hope must be willing, that it must be willing and ready to wait. For you to say you have hope. Your hope must be willing and ready to wait, regardless of how long it takes. One year, one month, one week, one day, one hour, two years. In Abraham's case, 25 years. And Romans 8 verse 35 says in the easy to read version of the Bible, but we are hoping for something we don't have yet. And we are waiting for it patiently. Everybody say patiently. Patiently. You don't have it yet. But you will have to wait for it patiently. Number three. Hope can be interchanged with trust in the scriptures. And you will see from many scriptures we will read. Hope is interchanged with trust. Hope is interchanged with trust countless times. And I'll give you a few examples. They are outlined there but we'll read them. Uh, read some of them. Psalm 71 verse 5 says, O Lord, you alone are my hope. I have trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. So you can say, O Lord, you are my trust. I have trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. And in Psalm 31 verse 24, it says, So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 31, it's the same 
Ruth word, the same root lexicon that is used in the next verse I'm about to read for hope. That same word connotes trust. Isaiah 51 verse 5 says, My righteousness is near. This is God speaking now. My salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me and my arm, and in my arm they will trust. In my arm they will hope. In my arm they will trust. That was God speaking. So the root word here is called, is, is, is pronounced, is um, the Hebrew word called yachel. Yachel, which means to hope, to trust, to tarry, to, to be stayed, and so on and so forth. To wait, that same word. So that same word will t- turn up in many of our scriptures interchangeably tonight. Praise God. So another important point to note is while the world's hope is in a hope so, the world has the hope so, I hope so, you know, or I hope, we, hope will, or hope to. But the, the hope founded on biblical principles is a no-so, two different things. The world is a hope so, but the hope that we should have as children of God is a no-so. It's that kind of hope that is like a, almost a certainty, even though you don't see it. But you have to wait. Hallelujah. Number four. Hope that is sin is no hope at all. If the thing you are hoping for, you can see it. There's no point hoping for it anymore. You already have received it. So Romans 8 verse 24 in the easy to read version of the Bible says, We were saved to have this hope. If we can see what we are waiting for, that is not really hope. People don't hope for something they already have. You have a car, and you say, I'm hoping that I have this car. You have a child called Jumbo, and you say, I hope I was the father of Jumbo. It doesn't work. You already have Jumbo. Praise God. So when you have something, you don't hope for the thing anymore. What you hope for is something that is seemingly beyond your reach. Something you desire but not yet available to you. The presence of a powerful leader in any situation will sort of give you hope. Right? Right? Imagine if you are going to go into a battle against, let's say someone is manifesting in your area. And you say, call pastor, call pastor, call pastor, pastor just shows up. What will happen? <laughs> huh? You will bubbly. Say, okay, today this, devil, this demon will die. We are killing this demon. You know, it reminds me of a story he actually shared on being on a flight once, you know, and his friend's younger brother, I think, uh, I might be wrong, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, well, saw him in the flight initially when they were boarding. So at some point during the flight, there was serious turbulence. And he said the guy was saying that, he told his elder brother that provide, he knew that as long as pastor was in that flight, he had hope that the flight would not, the plane would not crash. So that got me thinking that, well, how about hoping in the thing or the person that a man puts his hope in? Sounds like a better plan, isn't it? You know, say, I, because this man is in this flight, this plane can never crash. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of such. I remember back in days when we were going, we used to commute by road, traveling locally, and I'm in a bus, and I see one of all those guys that come to the park and they pray. Then it was ignorance, actually. After praying, some of them disappear. I wonder why this guy not enter the bus. So sometimes when some of them, some of them will board the bus with us, I'll be like, okay, as a prayer warrior in this bus, this bus will not, will not have an accident. But that's not true. After we've heard many times when, quote and unquote, I mean, men of God have crashes too, don't they? Praise God. So now that you have heard the sound of freedom, back to the sound of freedom, what? are you hoping for? That question has come again. What are you really hoping for? What is that fear that you need for your faith? Because hope actually is the fear you need for your faith. Hope is the foundation you need to build your faith upon. Perhaps yours is the hope for winning souls. Maybe you're tired of that winning one soul in a year pattern. You're saying, you know what? I want to win multiple souls for God. Perhaps yours is, you know, hoping that 
the, 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 the household idols in your father's house or your mother's house in this season, because they have heard the sound of freedom, they will all be shattered in the name of Jesus. Perhaps that's your own hope. Perhaps your own hope is that, you know what, I'm tired of being single. Maybe you're hoping concerning your business or you're hoping for a sick relative or spouse or finances. Whatever it is. Most importantly, every one of us here, seated here, I inclusive, must have a response for the sound of freedom. Every one of us must have a response for the sound of freedom. And this is season in, season out. This season is just sound of freedom. Previous season, rejoicing. Previous season, freedom itself. Any season. We've had bloom in this house. It has been blossom. We've had victory. Anywhere the prophetic goes forth. Anywhere there's a prophetic word gone forth. God said, the word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me void. Right? That is, we accomplish that which I send it forth for. What is your response to that? So you might be here and feeling like, my own case is peculiar. You don't understand. You, you don't, one thing I want you to know is this. Every bad thing or every setback in life can either make you better or make you bitter. Every setback you go through in life can either make you better or make you bitter. We've been taught about the eagle's um, flight, the illustration of the eagle's flight. When the eagle sees a storm, it flies into the storm because the storm gives it the propelling it requires for higher heights. The eagle doesn't shy away from the storm. So perhaps you are going through a storm and then the word comes, sound of freedom, and you're wondering, come on, these guys have come with their smart, <laughs> smart words again. Maybe not for me. I'm saying to you and to myself as well, that word is for you to the glory of the name of the Father. Amen. And there's this guy, you know, that I, that I, I, I thought about a good illustration. A man called Reggie White. Who knows Reggie White here? Who watches the NFL? The American football, that's like rugby. Really rough, isn't it? I know. Pastor Jesus, don't you follow the NFL? But you have, you, have, you have an NFL, you know, so you should know. Reggie White, anyway, is in the Hall of Fame. Reggie White was known as the Minister of Defense. The guy was so good that he had 198 sacks. If you know what the sacks mean, it means that he defended in Super Bowls, you know, 198 times, brought down people. So anytime it's coming like you, it's like a train. You cannot get past me. You're about to travel the border. And I was watching his videos earlier. The guy will bring you down. It disrupted the, the attack, the quarterbacks of many teams. So he was called the Minister of Defense. But when Reggie White was much younger, his coach used to pick on him. Sometimes he gets punched, bruised. He was wondering why. You know, really, really bullied. And he, he asked the coach at some point. He got frustrated and said, come, why is it just me? Amongst all these guys that you're always picking on. And the coach said to him that, you know the truth? I actually went around and asked a bunch of parents if I could do this same thing I'm doing to you, to their kids. And only your mom agreed. <laughs> and Reggie White went home and was furious with his mom and carried that anger for a while. But he says, you know, that in retrospect, he's grateful to his mom, you know, for that action. Because... I guess the bullying was to sort of toughen him up because the coach could see something that Reggie White could not see in himself. So what, what are we trying to bring out? The mom hoped. I'm sure when she agreed to it, she couldn't really see the outcome. She didn't know what she was signing up for. But her hope was that it would yield fruits. And Reggie White was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Only one guy has had more sacks than him, a guy called Bruce Smith, by 200, 200 sacks. Reggie White had 198 sacks. I mean, that is profound. That is profound. That is major. So, as it is in life, in themselves, are not necessarily a bad thing. Anytime you're going to an adversary, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, what it does is that it helps you focus. Refocus, retune your mind, eliminate the non-essentials so that you can dis 
devote yourself strictly to the important things. Adversaries are to help you focus, eliminate the unimportant things so you can devote yourself, zoom in to the things that are totally important in your life. Example, after Jericho came down, did Joshua and Israel not still face adversary? Didn't they? Did they or did they not? Yes, they did. In fact, in the next chapter, they had to contend with I. But before they contended with I, the adversary actually came from within. One of them had stolen. So when they went to I, they were soundly defeated. And even after they took I, they still had many other adversaries. But every time they grew stronger and their fame, their fame increased. The scripture pastor used in, I mean, in the season for um, the sound of freedom, the first Samuel 7 scripture. After Samuel defeated the Philistines at Mizpah, there was an adversary. They had to deal with a maniacal king that the people wanted for themselves. After the maniacal king, they had to deal with wars. The maniacal king almost destroyed Israel as a, as a nation. Until fast forward, God and picked a man after his own heart. And of course, there came hope for Israel once again. So of course, we don't want a problem Field life. Nobody really wants a problem-filled life. Nobody expects us to, to act as robots and say, okay, it's my lot. Everything is my lot. It's my lot. It's my lot. But in the midst of those problems, you should have your hope. You should have your hope. You shouldn't walk around. We shouldn't walk around feeling like life has dealt me a bad hand. Life, life is unfair to me because really life is not, life is not unfair fair to you. What, what we should do is fill ourselves with enough fear. Remember, fear, hope is the fear that your faith needs. So you fill yourself with enough fear. So like the eagle, when the storm comes, you use that storm as your elevation to rise up to higher heights to the glory of God in Jesus' name. So, one fact is that living a life void of convenience is actually a worrisome place to be. If your life is, you know, comfort zone, comfort zone, you, you should be worried. You should be worried. Because uh, battle is actually the food of champions. It's the food of champions. So, beware of a life that is void of inconveniences. Beware of any time in your life when you just want the convenience. Come to church, 6.30. They are playing football. It's not convenient. I'll stay at home. Beware. The devil is singing for you. It's time to fast. Ah, we have weddings in this period. I cannot fast. Beware. The devil is calling your name. It's time to pray. Ah, 11 o'clock, yeah. Let me just sleep some more. Beware. The devil is in your room. <laughs> Beware of your conveniences. As a matter of fact, a guy called Rick Joyner in a book I'm reading says that do not be dangerously addicted to convenience. Do not be dangerously addicted to convenience. Rick Joyner. Okay, so moving on. We'll give some examples of futile hope. As in hope that is futile, wasted hope. Number one, hope in money. First Timothy 6.17 says, Give this command to those who are rich with the things of this world. Tell them not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God, not their money. To hope in who? Not their money. Money cannot be trusted, but God takes care of us richly. He gives us to the God who, who generously provides everything we need for our comfort. I, this was my story before. I remember once upon a time, my hope was in money. At a young age, I began to see money. At 21, I was a millionaire. And after that, I made some good money. If you know me very well, I mean, if I've told you my story before, I had a brother that used to propel me, and I lost him at a young age as well. I remember we used to say, Money can do all things. It's not the Bible scripture, money answered. We're, we're pretty sure. As a matter of fact, I remember his wife at the time. 
that's now married to someone else was saying to him that, you know what? If you were a God, I would worship you. <laughs> I remember I was having a conversation when we said, you know what? We, 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 we can afford anything we want. Our trust, our focus was in the money, not in the creator of the money. So why money in itself is not an evil thing? To hinge all your trust in money. Maybe you can ask me, how did the man die? I won't tell you exactly how he died, but I can tell you that all the money in the world couldn't save him. We hired, trying to save his life, we spent tons of millions and hired an air vac system, that's the air ambulance, to save him. In fact, the night the air ambulance came, the next morning he died. That's God saying to you, that come, what, what, what are you trusting in? Everybody say, hope in money is futile. Number two, hope strictly in the tangible is futile as well. Hoping in all that you can see, things that you can behold. The Bible says that that kind of hope is not hope at all. Romans 8.24 in the easy to read version says we, are, we were saved to have this hope. If we can see what we are waiting for, that is not really hope. People don't hope for something they already have. You can't hope for what you already have. We read that before. So why we're not called to be robots again without feelings? We're not, that's not what we're talking about. God is not asking us to be without feelings or emotions. The key to a higher way is not in trusting in the futile things. The key to a highway is seen above and beyond the sensual. So if you're feeling, set your mind beyond the sensual. That's the key to the highway. Beyond the sensual. Set your mind beyond the sensual. The gratification of your flesh or your senses or your feelings. The need to gratify your flesh, your feelings. Keep your mind above such things. Keep your mind beyond the temporal. The worldly view of things concerned primarily with, with the present things. Keep your mind beyond it. And then keep your mind beyond the fleeting, things that are short-lived. Set your mind on the things that are eternal. Take your mind away from the things that are transient, that are ephemeral. Ephemeral. Take your mind away from them. Set your mind on the things that are eternal. The souls of men are eternal. Focus on such things. Number three, hope strictly in the promises of man is futile. When men make promises to you and you say, yes, we're not saying distrust people, but putting an engine on your trust in that is tantamount to heartbreak. Psalm 146, verse 3 to 4 in the New century version of the Bible says, do not put your trust in the princes or other people who cannot save you. When people die, they are buried. Then all their plans come to an end. Imagine trusting a man, how powerful that man might be. King, he's got mansions, he's got money. As a matter of fact, he, he actually nices you up, anything you require. But the, man, the day the man dies, that's it. Unless people lives. A will to you. And if he leaves a will to you, what is the guarantee that you can sustain and ensure that that wealth will grow? After all, you've heard stories of people who live, build dynasties, but down under today. Psalm 103, verse 15 to 18 says, Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers. We bloom and die. Sounds harsh, isn't it? The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord, everybody said the love of the Lord, remains forever with those who fear him. That's the proper perspective. His salvation extends to children's children. For them who fear him and love the Lord, God's salvation, his saving grace is not just for you alone, but for children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, to those who obey his, second, his commandments. You see, I'm pretty, pretty excited for my children. Because something I say to myself is that, Father, I've set my hand on the plow. There's no going back for this one. No -mm. Because I have tasted the world as well. I've wallowed in the world. 
and I know what is there. And I've tasted this one. Wow, this is by far better than that one. And I don't want my children to go through what I've gone through because maybe if my parents knew that they'd be differently. So now I've seen it, I will possess it for myself and for my generation to the glory of God. Which is why I love the things we do in gospel. House. Highly prophetic. Clap here, clap on the Lord. Highly prophetic. Like possessing the land. Highly prophetic. For me and my children. So that I can challenge God with his covenant. My children will not beg for bread. Why? Praise God. So, number one, examples of futile hope. Hope in what? Money. Number two, hoping strictly in the tangible. Number three, amen. So, what should we hope on? How can we keep our hope in such a seemingly hopeless world? What should we hope on? What should we hope on? Number one, hope in God's faithfulness. Psalm 3, verse 2 to 6 in the Living Bible says, But Lord, you are my shield, my glory, and my only hope. You alone can lift my head, now bowed in shame. I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me from his temple in Jerusalem. Then I lay down and slept in peace. I lay down and slept in peace. Why? Because he was hoping in God's faithfulness. After crying out to him, he could sleep in peace and wake up safely. There are people that are wealthy with big houses that cannot sleep. You know where we come from? They say they blow a woko. That is morning to night, night to morning. No sleep. Eyes are heavy. They are awake. But yeah, he says that I lay down and I slept in peace and wake up safely. For the Lord was watching over me. Everybody said the Lord was watching over me. And now, although 10,000 enemies surround me on every side, I am not afraid. I'm not afraid. Because I know in whom I have hoped in. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans, popular scripture, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Even God is saying hope to give you a future and an expected end. Your end will not end in sorrow in the name of Jesus. Amen. It will end in hopelessness. God has promised it that you have an expected end. So what should we hope for? Hope in God's faithfulness. Number two, hope in an assured life after death. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want, to be, want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The, the Bible is admonishing us not to breathe, grieve like them that are without hope in this world. And that rem, sort of brings to mind the fact that sometimes when people die, we kind of cry like there's no hope for them, especially when um, Christians, believers die. The fact is that I'm sure if a believer could see us, we say, God, why, are you, why are you weeping for me? I'm enjoying here. It's only when an unbeliever dies that is a loved one. That's when, really, for me, I mean, my new perspective can be really crushing for me. Yes, you might miss, you might miss the believer, but the fact is that that guy has gone to enjoyment. You are here, you are suffering, you are crying for someone that is enjoying. He <laughs> has gone to enjoyment, really. Is translated into the kingdom of glory. So we, as Christians, really should not we're, not, we're not to mourn like people without hope in this world. So if you're here and you, you lost someone and, and the person was a believer, really, maybe that's very instructive to you. We're not saying be a robot again without emotions or feelings, but the fact is that that person is in a better place enjoying themselves. So be giving glory to God for their life well spent. What if the person was an unbeliever and he died? Praise God. Number three. What should we hope on? An inheritance in eternity guaranteed by Jesus. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 5 says, Praise be to God and Father. Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And an inheritance, everybody say inheritance, that can never perish. Your inheritance as a believer can never perish. It can never spoil or can never fade. First Peter 1 verse 3 to 5 in the NIV. You can put up that scripture please while I read it for mine. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you and I. Who is kept by the, who, the one who through faith is, rather, the inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is kept and shielded. Isn't that just a beautiful promise for us? You know, Jesus was saying that you shouldn't stop your treasures here on earth where moth will eat it. So why is it important for me to have hope? Because hope, or rather without hope, my faith is incomplete. Without hope, my faith is incomplete. We started by saying hope is the fear that your faith needs. It's like the foundation. Picture a house you're about to build. Hope is the foundation, a faith house. Hope is the foundation you put the blocks, the bricks, and the pillars of faith on. Without hope, your affirmation of your faith is paraplegic, is lame at best, and it cannot stand the test of time. Hebrews 11 verse 1, our favorite scripture on faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Who can tell us what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says? Quickly, let's say it together. Yes, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay. I, I like what the TLB version says. The, the, the Living Translation um, Bible says that what is faith is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that we hope. The certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us even though we cannot see it. It's the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for you and I even though we cannot see it. But the orthodox translation is faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I, I saw an illustration, I mean my summation, my own humble summation, the best illustration I've seen on this uh, verse of the scripture is by a guy called Jeremy Beans. Jeremy Beans, not Beans that we eat, B-I-N-S, Jeremy Beans, you know. And he used a bicycle to illustrate this verse of the scripture and I will share it. You know, it says, can we put up, um, that's a bicycle, beautiful bicycle, isn't it? Very nice. Okay? So, when you picture this bicycle, let us pretend, everyone here, that we all hope for this bicycle. I know some of you are saying G-Wagon. <laughs> G-Wagon. Or Porsche. Or Porsche. Or Ferrari. Just pretend. This one is good for exercise. So, the bicycle is the thing that we have hoped for, right? Please play along. This is the only way you will enjoy this. So the bicycle is the thing I have hoped for. Okay. So by definition, faith is the substance of the bicycle I want. Can you say that with me? Of the bicycle that I want, right? Because the bicycle has been substituted as the thing hoped for. The bicycle is the thing hoped for, okay? Next, let us break down the word called substance. Substance. And substance, no, not yet. Please, I didn't ask for that slide yet. Okay, just put it up. Put it up right there, right there. Put it up. Just, okay. Substance, by definition, dictionary.com says, is the fundamental part of material or physical matter for which something is made. So the fundamental part, the material, the physical matter of which something is made is the thin substance, right? So this is the substance of that whole bicycle that we saw just now, right? Make sense? So in other words, this means the pieces and the parts. These are pieces and parts. So if I want to buy a tire, I'll say, give me that part, tire. Or God, give me the saddle. I want the rim, the handle, the seat. Those are the parts, right? So the substance of this bicycle, that's the pieces and parts of the bicycle is a substance, right? 
So, by new definition, I can now say that faith is the pieces and parts of the bicycle I want. Are you still following me? So, can we say it together? Faith is the pieces and parts of the bicycle I want. Remember, we're still on Hebrews 11, right? Okay. So, the least complex thing, still keep it up there, keep it up there. The least complex thing to um, break down in that short sentence is faith. Faith in itself is a simple word. We can break down. The dictionary.com says that faith is a firm belief in something that is not existent. It's a firm belief in something you cannot see. But as believers, that firm belief is in our God, isn't it? Right? Are we following? Good. So I can now break down that illustration and say that faith by definition is my firm belief and trust in God. Am I correct? Okay. So if I put these things back together, Hebrews 11 verse 1, by my new definition is, my belief and trust in God makes up the pieces. And parts of the bicycle I want. My belief and trust in God as faith makes up the pieces and parts of the bicycle that I want. That's the thing that I have hoped for. So what are you hoping for today? Picture this illustration. Your belief and trust in God are going to make up all the pieces and parts of that thing you are hoping for and bring it into reality. Think about your marriage. Think about your business. Think about your health. Maybe for you it is health. Your belief and trust in your God is going to make for the pieces and parts, right? That make up for your marriage. Put your marriage there inside of bicycle. Put your business there inside of bicycle. Put your health there inside of bicycle. Put your finances there inside of bicycle. Put your relationship there inside of bicycle. If you want to clap, you can clap to the Lord. Whatever it is, just put it there and have that mindset. Always remember, put up the whole bicycle now. For your bicycle, the whole bicycle, for you to have that whole bicycle. The bicycle is your marriage. Your bicycle is not a marriage, or your marriage is not a bicycle, but put, just have that illustration every time. Every time. See it holistically. Your firm belief and trust in God makes up all the pieces and the parts that you put up for that proverbial bicycle. So hope, by Jeremy Bynes now, he said finally that hope is the possibility that inspires us to activate the potential of our faith. So what he's saying there is that without hope, you cannot even have faith. Without hope, you cannot have any faith. And again, without faith, you cannot even have any hope. So they even go, they, 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 they're correlated. They, they go hand in hand. So many people have faith, but they don't understand why they are sad and they are depressed. But they have faith. They have faith, but they are still sad and they are still depressed, almost oppressed and subdued. In many cases, it is because they have faith, they don't have, rather, they don't have, they don't have the hope to inspire and activate their faith. They have faith, but they are still sad and depressed because they don't have the hope to inspire. They don't have the hope to fuel and activate that faith. So after the sound of freedom, for example, they go one week, two weeks, fired up. After that, everything drops again. No hope. No hope to carry the weight. No hope to tarry. No hope to trust consistently until that thing that you are trusting God comes to pass. On the flip side of it, many people are walking around sad and depressed. They have hope, but no faith as well. No faith to birth that thing that they are hoping for. So we must have hope on one hand, and we must have faith on the other hand, because both of them must go together for us to actually live like people that have received a sound of freedom. So what do you do then? Have your fear, your hope. Have your fear. Don't just have the car. That's your faith. Have your fear. Have your car. Because you can have fear and not have a car. You're still where you are. You can have a car and no fear. You're still where you are. Bring your car 
bring your fear, put it together, drive from here to your destination to the glory of God. Praise God. As we close tonight, I want to leave you with a thought. Before Jesus ever came, the hope of the men of faith in the past was that a Messiah will come someday and redeem his people, will rescue his people. Which is why when Jesus came, they were wondering, ah, can this guy, <laughs> this guy didn't come the way we wanted him to come. Where's the chariots and the horses, chariots of fire and the swords and the angels, brandishing swords everywhere. You know, but today, our ultimate hope is that Jesus will come and then we will reign with him. And my pastor was saying on Sunday, Jesus will come in the skies and then we'll just rapture. So imagine, I kind of toy with that idea a bit. Imagine when Jesus just comes, you know, all of a sudden, I just, I just God forbid all of us, I was going to say, I, all of us just jet out of this place. Superman and superwomen back all the way to heaven, you know, to meet up with him. And people in there, all I still be wondering, that's if they don't rapture too, where are we going to? I mean, that's just fantastic. Fantastic. Well, how, how beautiful that, that day will be. And that is actually the hope of the children of God. That someday, when our master comes back in the sky, say we'll be holding coming with the clouds. We'll all just, I don't know if we'll go with our clothes or without our clothes, you know. <laughs> but we'll be in the skies with him. But that is for the children of God. Let's bow down our heads as we bow down our hearts. The Bible says in 1 John 3, I read 2 and 3, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. The action where word there is purity. Purifying ourselves so that we can meet him as true children of hope. So this is a call for you. What we hope on or hoping might be different from you. Why? Because you don't have a relationship. You don't have a relationship to hoping. You don't have anything to hold on to. That's a terrible place to be. What if the rapture happens now? Will you be the only one sitting in church? And it really can happen now because at the time, the time and the moment, it says no one knows. This is a call to you to become one of us that I have our hopes set in heaven. Why don't you lift up your hands today to heaven and we'll pray with you and welcome you home. Or you, you used to have that hope, but somehow you lost that hope because you began to set your mind or your heart on the things that are sensual, the things that are temporal, the things that are fleeting. You lost your relationship and you lost your hope. Why don't you put up your hands to heaven and we'll pray with you real quickly. If you're here and you know you don't have that hope that we have, the hope of a life lived in Christ, put up your hand and we'll pray with you. Amen? Amen. If you're if you online, the instructions are scrolling. You can send your details to the email address you see there and someone will reach you. Pastor most likely will reach you. Praise God. Let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, our Lord, for the hope you've given unto us. The hope of life spent with you. We ask in the name of Jesus that for every one of us here, that hope will be our reality in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.